Radio Mano Papachango. I love about doing this podcast, which is why I keep doing it. I'm not getting rich from it. I don't need the notoriety. I'm a fucking best-selling author, man. Not that anybody gives a shit about that. But the two things that I love the most about doing this podcast are, and, and I know this sounds like I'm blowing smoke up your ass, but honestly, it's you. It's the fact that you want to hang out with me. And that makes me want to hang out with you. And uh, there's some really beautiful connections that happen through this podcast. And uh, one of the things that I'm looking forward to exploring in the future once things settle down a little bit, famous last words, right? Uh, But once things settle down a little bit, one of the things I want to explore is finding ways to help you people get together with one another, because we've got a lot in common. Anybody who's listening to this podcast um, shares a lot with the rest of the audience. You share certain interests, you share a style, you share maybe um, an impatience with bullshit and commercialism. You're looking, you share curiosity that you're looking for other ways to think, other ways to live. You're open-minded, you're tolerant, you're you're just as comfortable listening to me in a conversation with uh, transgender people and sex workers as you are with comedians or kids or, you know, people in their 80s looking back at life, you're open-minded and curious and intelligent. And if you weren't, you wouldn't be listening to this. You wouldn't be turned on by these conversations. They wouldn't work for you. It wouldn't resonate. So the fact that it does resonate Tells me you're my kind of people, obviously, which is why when I meet people who know me through the podcast, it's always a wonderful experience. It's weird. Yes, it is weird because they're, you know, sitting across the table in the cafe saying, dude, it's so weird hearing your voice and seeing your face at the same time because I've spent so many hours listening to you. But I've, you know, this is the first time I've ever been in a room with you and it's just fucking it, it warps the brain in certain ways. And of course, it's warping my brain as well, because here's this person who knows all about me and I don't know jack shit about them. So there's there are all sorts of weird imbalances and strangenesses, but it's all mitigated by the fact that I already know they're a nice person, or at least my definition of nice, right? Uh, because they like what I'm doing. They like the people that I find interesting. And so we've got so much in common. And... Um, so that's the first thing, the, the sense of commun- community and the connection that it's enabled me to, to have with members of the audience. The other thing that's amazing about it is that it, when I meet someone who strikes me as particularly interesting, and, and let me make this clear, everybody's interesting, right? Everybody. It's just that some people, I recognize it more quickly, or some people are more willing to share those parts of themselves. Um, but I have no doubt that if I were on 
a 50-hour bus ride with 50 random people picked up from the street, and I had a chance to sit next to every one of them for a couple of hours, absolutely every person on that bus would be fascinating in some way. That's that's the amazing thing. When you're talking to strangers, it's you know it's like every prospector's dream. Wherever you dig, you're going to find gold. And that's one of the things that I found traveling and one of the things that was instrumental in uh, in changing me from the pedantic, arrogant little asshole that I was 30 years ago to hopefully a slightly less pedantic, slightly less arrogant, stooped, older asshole that I am today, which is the recognition that being smarter than someone, having traveled more than someone, being more educated than someone, in the end amounts to absolutely nothing because everybody is full of fascinating insights. Everybody is full of amazing, heartbreaking experiences. And if you dig, you will find gold in everyone. So that's the second thing that I really love about this podcast, that it it allows me to find the gold in some people and to hold it up and to share it, um, which in some cases is a bit of a revelation. I'm going to be recording a podcast soon with an auto mechanic that I met the other day. I went in to have my brakes checked. They were grinding. I heard all these weird noises. And uh, turns out I don't need brakes. But I was standing in the office talking with the guy who owns the shop, and there's a picture of him standing next to his motorcycle and next to a big sign that says, Welcome to the Arctic Circle. I look at this guy. He's a small Pakistani man, and he's standing next to this monstrous BMW motorcycle in the Arctic Circle. I said, What was that? He said, Oh, yeah, I don't know. A few years ago, I decided I wanted, uh, I had seen this John Wayne movie growing up in Pakistan where he was in the Arctic, and I always wanted to go to the Arctic. And so a few years ago, I got on my motorcycle. And I rode from Los Angeles to the Arctic Circle in Alaska alone. And I'm like, what? 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 What are you? Are you kidding me? So I I said, do you know what a podcast is? And he's, well, no. I said, well, it's like a radio. It's sort of like a radio show. Um, Would you be willing to sit down with me and talk about your this trip and, you know, share some experience, some stories from your life and so on and. He said, well, well, yeah, I guess, but uh, but I probably wouldn't talk about Alaska. I would probably talk about the times that I rode from London to Pakistan on motorcycles in the 60s alone <laughs> before there were roads. There were no roads. And this dude rode from London, England to Pakistan on his fucking motorcycle. So anyway... I'm going to sit down with that guy in the next day or two and and record that. Today's episode is with another random encounter. Cassie and I are renting a, a apartment in Venice, California, a really beautiful place. And uh, the couple who own it are super cool, really nice people, very welcoming and friendly and laid back. And uh, luckily, the lock broke on the back door here. So the um, the man who owns the place came back and he was working on the lock and I was chatting with him a little bit. Turns out he's a super fascinating guy, really interesting guy, very smart, multifaceted life. He's an artist. We didn't even really talk about his art, but I'm sitting here 
right now surrounded by big, beautiful oil paintings that he's done. And uh, he uh, went to Yale, grew up on the beach. His father is a legendary lifeguard here in Southern California. My cousin, who's a lifeguard, used that word. He said, oh, that dude's father is a legend. Um, Anyway, his name's Jeff Rohrer. He grew up on the beach. His dad was a legendary, becoming a legendary lifeguard. Surfed, uh, had a lot of experiences uh, sort of being... uh, you know, big, strong kid and smart kid and went to Yale and ended up on the football team doing really well. And next thing you know, he's drafted by the Dallas Cowboys and he's in the NFL for, I think he said, six years. So since it's the NFL playoffs, I thought it would be fun to uh, sit down with him and he was willing to share some of his experiences. We ended up talking a lot about the culture of being a professional athlete and, uh, you know, and what it's like that, well, the culture of the NFL particularly, which is a particularly brutal uh, forum in which, or realm in which to be a professional athlete. But this is not a brutal dude. He played outside linebacker, which is one of the most hard-hitting uh, positions you can play in American football. Um, but he's a very relaxed, friendly, funny, uh, very, very deep guy, as you'll hear. So on that note, I would like to begin this podcast with uh, a return to something I did a few, I guess a couple of months ago now. I read a poem on the podcast called The More Loving One by W.H. Auden. And One of these wonderful people in the audience that I was referring to initially, and there are a lot of you, I I get a lot of beautiful communications coming from this, Um, but this woman sat down at the piano and wrote a song, wrote a piece of music, not really a song, I guess, since she's not singing, um, which is her interpretation or response to the poem. And it's a short, brief piece of music, but as you'll hear, it is, I think, extraordinarily beautiful. And um, so I will just read the poem. Very, uh, It's a short poem. I'll read it again, and then I'll play the music, and uh, maybe you'll hear what she's going for. So the poem is uh, called The More Loving One by W.H. Auden. Looking up at the stars... I know quite well that, for all they care, I can go to hell. But on earth indifference is the least we have to dread from man or beast. How should we like it were stars to burn with a passion for us we could not return? If equal affection cannot be, let the more loving one be me. Admirer as I think I am of stars that do not give a damn, I cannot, now I see them say, I've missed one terribly all day. Were all stars to disappear or die, I should learn to look in an empty sky and feel its total dark sublime, though this might take me a little time. All right, this is The More Loving One by Carrie Snowbeck.
Thank you, Carrie Snowpack. Uh, if you'd like to download a copy of that song, Carrie, uh, put it up on iTunes. You can just go to the iTunes store and search Carrie Snowpeck, C-A-R-R-I-E-S-N-O-P-E-K, Carrie Snowpeck. Uh, she's got that up for 99 cents. Yes, a bargain at any price, but certainly at 99 cents. And if you want to hear some of Carrie's other music, you can go to myspace.com slash Carrie Snowpeck. I guess that's forward slash forward slash music, forward slash songs. I'm sure you can just go there and search Carrie Snowpeck as well, and you'll find her. Anyway, thank you, Carrie. Uh, I hope you're still enjoying yourself in Cancun. Last I heard from Carrie, she was sipping margaritas in Cancun. So that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, anyway, Bennett, another guy I want to mention on this this episode is Bennett, our T-shirt maven, our our uh, benefactor who's been supporting this podcast since uh, it was just me and my mom listening to it. Uh, Bennett's uh, had a bit of a, a health setback, and I don't know if, if you're listening to this, Bennett, but if you are, we're loving you. We're sending you lots of love from Venice, California, and uh, all over the world, I'm sure. Lots of people are wearing your wonderful T-shirts and uh, we wish you much health and you get better really quickly. Now, this week's episode is, as I said, with a guy who played in the NFL. Um, and uh, it led me to, it reminded me of the bit by George Carlin about how different uh, baseball and football are. It's an amazing bit. If, if you've never heard it, definitely check it out. You can just Google George Carlin baseball versus football and you'll see it. If you go to my website, chrisryanphd.com, you will see uh, a clip. I'll put it in the in the listing for this, in the notes section for this uh, episode. It's fantastic. It's hilarious. He gets into all the different, the language of football versus baseball. Even if you're not into sports, you got to listen to it because you'll just die laughing. It's hilarious. Anyway, it made me think, you know, we were, I was talking with Jeff Rohr, today's guest, about um, the differences between soccer and football. And it's it's really something. I've been living in Spain so long that I've really started to love soccer and I watch it a lot. I don't claim to understand 90% of what's happening, but I don't understand 90% of what's happening on a football field either. But it's interesting. I mean, there are differences, like very, very obvious differences. Like in American sports, it's generally the last name, right? It's... Um, the the player's last name that's on his jersey in soccer it's much more casual it's generally the first name sometimes it's the last name but often it'll just be you know Javi or Jordi or you know Manuel or whatever uh Ronaldo right or Ronaldinho all these so it's very it's more friendly and relaxed American football is exact. It's precision. Everything like where, you know, what's the millimeter where the ball went out of bounds and did was his knee touching when he had did he have possession? Did he make a football gesture? There are all these like, oh, we're going to go up to the booth and review the play and they're going to look through special glasses that'll give them a better vision of what happened on a soccer field. It's like yeah, whatever. It it I think it went out of bounds around there, so just throw it in from over there somewhere. The guy can run 10 or 15 yards up the field before he throws it in and nobody even gives a shit. 
you know, oh, where did the thing happen? Well, about there, you know, and there's like rolling the ball forward before they kick it. No, then sometimes though, no, you have to, you have to be 10 feet away. And now they've started spraying shaving cream or something on the field because as soon as the ref turns around, the other guys will start moving across the line. It's chaos. Soccer is casual chaos. And American football is exact, precise chaos. But they're both chaos, of course, because once things start moving, it's nutty. Um, Soccer is about flow and currents of movement, whereas American football is more like machine parts. In American football, the coach is generally a fat guy with a headset and a clipboard wearing sweatpants. In European soccer, the coach is generally a dapper gentleman in a wool overcoat and an expensive haircut. Completely different scene. But in fact, interestingly enough, uh, Jeff Rohrer's coach was Tom Landry, who was the last of the dapper gentleman American football coaches. He wore a a top hat, a fedora, I think, and an overcoat and a suit and a tie. He was a real gentleman, and uh, but I think he was the last of them. So there is a connection, or at least there was a connection, and Jeff lived it. Without further ado, let me jump into this conversation with Jeff Rohrer. It's spelled R-O-H-R-E-R. Uh, you can uh, Google him, and you'll see uh, that he was a standout linebacker at Yale, uh, one of the top tacklers, maybe the top tackler on the team, but I think also, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of a record setter at Yale and uh, Dallas Cowboys, man, Dallas Cowboys. I, I have never been a fan of the Cowboys because I grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, Dallas and Pittsburgh were sort of arch rivals in those years in the late seventies. Um, so I've sort of, actually I sort of despised the Cowboys and the whole America's team thing. For those of you, for Europeans, the Cowboys are sort of like Manchester United or, um, Real Madrid. They're the team with lots of money, lots of self-congratulatory hoopla, considered themselves you know, more American than any. I mean, how do you call yourself America's team? But anyway, that's all the marketing. You know, the players just go where they're hired. It's it. You know, it's it's all a fucking joke anyway. But um, anyway, I've never been a big fan of the Dallas Cowboys, but my brother-in-law is a diehard fan, so he'll maybe this will get me some some karmic points with my brother-in-law. <laughs> I don't think he listens to the podcast, but hey, Jonathan, if you're listening to this, here you go. This one's for you, brother. So welcome to Jeff Rohrer. I hope you enjoy this podcast. And uh, hey, I, I didn't get into the Amazon thing this episode. Maybe I'll do it next episode. Don't want to you know, bore you or uh, overstay my welcome with that. But thank you very much to all of you who are supporting the podcast through fundwhatyoulove.com and or through the Amazon affiliate link. Um, It's been uh, hilarious reading some of the things you're buying. I'll try to get back to that in the next episode. As you'll hear, this uh, conversation with Jeff opens with a bit of confusion. I had plugged my recorder into this external power source, and we talked for a few minutes, and then I realized that it wasn't giving any power to the recorder, and so we'd just been talking into the void. Um, So we missed the first five minutes. You'll hear us pick up where we left off. You don't miss much other than, hey, this is Jeff. Jeff used to play for the Cowboys, yada, yada, yada. We'll take it from there. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Sorry for the confusion at the beginning. 
And thanks for your support uh, through Fund What You Love and my Amazon affiliate link at chrisryanphd.com. Hope you're all having a great week, and I will catch you next time. Oh, yeah, it stopped. Well, I hope it just stopped when I changed that plug there. Anyway, we're back. We might we're have, back. We might have lost the last five minutes there. That's okay. Um, anyway, I was talking about, we were Can talking we about growing it? up on the, on the beach and how that sort of uh, toughens you up and, and the fear that you experience when you get caught in a big wave. And I was talking about this movie Surfwise where this guy, uh, it's a documentary about this guy who has an emotional crisis in his life. He's in the late 40s, I think, somewhere around there, maybe 50. So surfing wasn't a big deal. Yeah. It was just a thing in Hawaii and maybe in Southern California. Um, but anyway, he takes his board, he goes to Hawaii, and he becomes famous in, Hawaii, in um, Israel as the, <laughs> like the godfather of surf. Like right. nobody ever surfed in Israel. Right. So he was in the newspaper and all this stuff, and he went out in the desert, and he, he um, had his 80 days and nights in the desert, and he had a vision that he was going to meet this brown-haired, brown-skinned woman and have 11 kids with her. Yeah. So he comes back to California. He's hanging out in a restaurant somewhere. He sees this big Mexican family eating dinner together, and there's this woman. He looks at her, and it's like, that's her. He walks over to this woman, right, who's having dinner with his big family, who's probably 18 at the time, and he says to her, you and I are going to get married, and you're going to have 11 of my children. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? And it like, happened? Pick up line. It happened. That's even better. And so this dude uh, decides his kids are not going to go to school. They're gonna, they can learn everything they need to learn from the beach wow. and the ocean. So they get a camper van, and he, with all these kids... Oh, i got to watch that. Yeah, I don't know if it was 11. I might be exaggerating. It might have been 8 or whatever. But all these kids in this, like, 22-foot van, they grow up never going to school. Wow. They drive around. He makes money, you know, where he can make it and whatever. It's an interesting movie. Oh, I definitely yeah. got to check yeah. that out. Anyway, you reminded me of it when you were talking about, you know, the sort of the natural education, physical and, yeah, and yeah. psychological you get from the water. The water and the beach, man. It's a t it's like, you know, people don't realize it. There's, you know, like anybody that's serious about surfing, you know, and gets in that big surf, those guys, they, they are absolute animals. I mean, that's just insane yeah. to do what they're doing. That, the whole North Shore of Hawaii, you know, those locals out there that surf all the time, they're, they're some of the toughest people on the planet. You, you, you act like a gentleman when you're on that side of the island. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's a there's a dignity to surfing that I, I find really beautiful. It, it's one of the, I mean, I don't have a lot of, uh, you know, regrets in life, um, but as far as physical stuff goes, if I could choose the thing to spend a lot of time doing, because it's not just physical, there's something really deeply spiritual about understanding waves and rhythms it's, it's and super spiritual you know if you look at the documentary the whatever the z boys the one they did about venice beach they're super super they're still very territorial about their area yeah. but it's just it's a very it's almost tribal um but i don't know i guess anything can go too far but I guess they, you know, there's only so many waves, and they don't like a lot of people out there. They want to get their waves, so if there's too many people, they have a fit. Yeah, skateboarding, on the other hand, and I'm gonna make a lot of enemies here, but I just don't get it. It, it just seems like the dumbest fucking thing ever. But 
I have to admire, I admire the persistence. <laughs> you see these guys, like in Barcelona, it's really big. And you see these dudes and they're just like determined to be able to, you know, jump up and scrape their thing across the, the fucking bench and then yep. spin it and land on it. And they'll break their goddamn knees to, to accomplish it. And nobody cares. I mean, I don't know. Are chicks like... It's like horse jumping that? or something. I, I, just a <laughs> very limited amount of people that <laughs> take it up so. as a hobby, you know. And, and where's the payoff? You know, it's a, it's a, my kid got into it this summer, like heavy. I, we, when we were skate, we we started skating. We had the, we had uh, started with metal wheels and then went to the clay wheels. So it was more dangerous thing because every time you hit yeah. a rock, you could take your face off. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's a, it, you know, it's. I think it's kind of like snowboard. It's cool. You know, people just enjoy it um, as an activity. I think these hoverboards are, are um, you know, going to be the new generation of that. Um, but it is a, uh, it's, it takes some skill. And I think now that they've got tricks involved, it, you know, there's something more to do than just go yeah. down the hills. Well, I think the like down here in Venice on the beach, yeah. those the tubes, oh, and that looks fun. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the, the old swimming pools. Yeah, and full disclosure, I had one of those old uh, polyurethane wheel <laughs> plastic <laughs> nice. things, yeah. and I hit some mud going down a hill and ended up in the hospital. And, yeah, you know, multiple concussion, the whole thing. So, I do have a, a bias. There you go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I kind of the same way. I took the side of one face off. So. The, the side of one face? How well, many faces I mean, do you have? I mean, the one side of my face, sorry. <laughs> oh, it grew back, apparently. I'm not even drunk yet. It, it's like a liver. It just yeah. grows back, right? As long as you have a chunk of it, it'll it's grow it. back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so were you playing football in high school? Football in high school was pretty good. Um, got, um, got a few scholarship offers. I was not very big. Mm. Um, and... Uh, and then I decided to go to Yale because they they were actually, you know, interested. They don't give scholarships, so my folks had to pay every dime to get me back there. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Um, That's not cheap either. No, it wasn't cheap. And they had to refinance their house. You know, we weren't a rich family. They had to refinance their house to put me wow. through. Um, and right before I did go to Yale, they had an all-star game at the end of the summer. And I had a really good game. There was some, I won't name names, but there was a, guy that ended up playing years in the league as a running back but he didn't have a good day that day <laughs> and uh so, but he made it to the nfl anyway yeah they came up they're going dude where are you going to school why i don't know why you know because i had like 15 tackles or something it was, yeah it was perfect I wait this is in high school this is a high school because you did the same thing in college yeah same thing happened there. you rise to the occasion yeah you're an occasion riser i got lucky because I was reading your Wikipedia thing this morning. Yeah. And uh, and actually, I think you mentioned it yesterday that at, it was at the end of your career at Yale, right? Like near the end. Yeah, we were playing. We, <coughs> we're, uh, Navy was. Uh, Navy, that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, they were like national. I think they were nationally ranked. And Napoleon McCallum, I think that's who it was, was a running back Heisman Trophy candidate. And the Cowboys came to scout him. And he didn't have a good day that day either. I got real lucky and had, I had a, I, I don't know, I want to say I had like 20 tackles. It was something crazy like that. Right. And my coach, my defensive coach just said, you can take this guy. So basically up front, he was just having the line try to knock everybody out and just leave me and him. Right. So it worked out because I, you know, he, he, he was running downhill, but I had the sideline. I'm really good at, it's like being a cutting horse. Ah. Uh, you know, he was the sideline. Right. 
and then eventually they run out of room. And you, and you were playing right linebacker? I, I was middle linebacker oh, in college, middle. Okay. and then right, right in, down in Dallas. But and they, they wanted to draft him, and then they came, and I had this good day, and they ended up drafting me in the second round. Yeah. Weird. I read uh, in your the thing there, your Wikipedia thing, it links to some local newspaper articles where the oh. people in Dallas are like, what? What are you guys doing? Right. This guy's a long shot. And they're like, well, we think their, their drafting philosophy was we'd rather, you know, take a shot at someone who could be great than a sure thing of someone who's good. You know, it's weird because after that, they were, you know, they... They drafted linebackers almost every year that I was there, trying to, you know, either take to get my job or take the other job. And they drafted a couple number twos and a number one, and um, they they never got my job. It was, um, you know, it was always a lot of competition. But you know, like a couple, got, they cut Mike Walter. Mike Walter went to the 49ers, ended up one of the being the best middle linebacker that they have ever had up there, won Super Bowl rings. You know, it could have been me, but I didn't, you know, Michael, Michael's the one they cut, and he ended up being amazing. Uh, Kenny Norton backed me up for a while. Kenny ended up, after um, I left Dallas, ended up being phenomenal, and then I think Kenny went up north, too, and played up there, but he's got a couple Super Bowl rings. Just great athletes, and, you know, it, this the, it wasn't their time yet. It was right. mine, but they ended up, but, you know, the level of, the level of, you know, when you're ready, you're ready, but... Um, you know, the level of athleticism. I mean, I think I had it, but it was, I don't know, maybe it was masked in my white body. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about that, about race yeah. in football. I mean, because now, and I don't mean to, yeah. to focus on football. I know you're a, no, it's you're, cool. you're a multifaceted it. guy, which is, you know, really why I wanted to talk to you. But um, football's so much in the news, not only because it's, you know, like today is yeah. the, the playoffs and all that, but the movie concussion that's just come out and you know the wife beating scandals right. and the, yeah. you know and uh like what what's i mean about what, race or about well what? race what i mean that, what was the thing a little while ago in miami the the guy who quit you know because he was getting hassled so much and you know it's uh i think back when i played you know it was i uh, 82 right and it's quite a while ago you know 64 68 is not far you know the civil rights movement is right. not far mm. from 82 you know whatever that's like it's not not even 20 years so you know and i was playing in dallas and dallas is in whether they want to say it or not they're in the south and then you know we had fans everywhere we went we sold out everybody loved that team right and then you know our team was I don't know, it was probably 50-50, white, white and black. Um, I came in to that team as a total hybrid, you know. I grew up in Manhattan Beach, so I'm wearing flip-flops, kind of a right. stony dude with a mustache. Yale? Who the fuck goes to Yale and then the NFL? That's not a normal route. Yeah, so I was not, you know, no. I mean, I was white, but there was a lot of things about me that may have been more black. And um, oh, right. I kind of got along with, I, I mean, I totally did get along with everybody. I loved everybody on that team, those guys. I'd do anything for any of them until the day I die. Um, but I kind of, not kind of, I did kind of get, ad I got adopted by a lot of the brothers, you know. Yeah. They called me Jake, and I was, uh, you know, because I, was, I wasn't like a redneck guy, you know. I right. wasn't like a hunter. or right. So I, they kind of brought me in, and they thought I was funny. 
you know, because right. I kind of was, and I wasn't a normal <laughs> white dude, you know, it's like, like, yeah. who is this dude? Like, right. He's not a normal white dude, and they knew I didn't give a shit about anybody's color, you know, people right. are people. Right. So it was really cool, I was so happy that, that those guys liked me, because, um, because I love them, they're good, good folks, and, and uh, miss them. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. What, what's it like? Right, we're we're sort of equating being on a NFL team with being on a squad of seals. You were talking about earlier. There's a bit of a war footing, and you know yeah. the, the camaraderie and the danger and all that. What's it like when the enemy? Is, it's purely artificial bullshit. Like, it's, there's not even, like, they're Afghanis and, you know, okay, right. there's goddamn towel heads. You know, right. it's like, no, the, you know, you got you went to college with some of these guys. You know, yeah. you grew up with these guys. They're, the fact that you're smashing against each other is purely some artificial contrivance. I think um, I, th I think it is somewhat artificial, but there is there's a lot of guys that don't like each other out there. Especially been playing against them for years, and it's a you know, football is a nasty game. Um, and when I was playing, and I think you know the probably the seventies and the seventies and the eighties, sixty. I mean, I mean, certainly until you know maybe the mid nineties, it was a really physical game. I watched a documentary last night, uh, like the Four Falls of New York or something, and it's about the Buffalo Bills when they went to four Super Bowls and lost all four. It's amazing. Right. But I was sitting there watching and, and, and just seeing the slow motion footage going like, oh my God, that was, I was literally playing two years before that. Mm. So I was putting myself in there because you don't see it when you're playing it. Right. But when you're watching it slow motion, it was so nasty back then. And, you know, people were head hunting. Um, you could leg whip. You know, you can't do any of that. You could chop people with your body. You can't do any of that stuff now. You can't hit the quarterback. I mean, they were just... You know, guys used to just take shots at the quarterbacks all day long. Now, if you even touch him, you get a flag. Unless he's got the ball, right? If he's well, holding the ball, no, you can... No, it was way, 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 way different. Those is guys, that the best feeling a linebacker can have is a linebacker blitz and you fucking grab the quarterback and... It's great to get down. a sack. I mean, yeah. I think a good... I mean, I, I used to love, like, playing the Redskins and, you know, with John Riggins. And, you know, there would be a hole. And we, you know, our job was to fill the hole and his job was to run through the hole. And it was almost like a drill set up. It was like one-on-one, -on -one and guys like Riggins, like most guys, like Franco Harris try to get around you. John Riggins try to go over you. Right. And it, to have a running back just come like, okay, here we go. And just like, <laughs> and just go for it. Like, no, you're not trying to get away. He's yeah. trying to run over you. Right. That's, that was, that's what I love the most. That really? Was, that was great. Wow. Serious impact. So Franco Harris, yeah, he, he wasn't as much of a power runner. Well, he's a smart guy, you know. He yeah. um, he lasted 15 years. Right. You know? he, he would get near the sidelines, and, you know, back then it wasn't macho. It's like, try to get that extra six inches. Right. He was smart enough to go like, you know what? I'm going out It doesn't bounds. matter. Yeah. Because it really doesn't. <laughs> you know what? Okay, well, now you're touching on something really existential. I remember reading some article, uh, an interview with a coach. I, I don't remember who he was, but... I think he was like a great college coach that went to the pros and and the so the question was what what is the secret to being a great football coach and I'll never forget his answer he said well he said you have to be smart enough to really understand the game but not smart enough to realize how little it all matters <laughs> that's funny <laughs> I thought man you could apply that to anything oh my god you know, yeah. any ambition it's true it's true yeah 
Yeah. So Franco Harris, he understood it didn't really ultimately matter. I mean, it much. didn't matter. That six inches didn't matter in the. I mean, if it's if you're going for a touchdown, but if you already got the first down, right? And you're and you have and you could step outside or try to get six. Just get out of bounds. Yeah. Okay. Save it. You got you got 20 games to play this year. And you're you know? ris you're risking injury. I don't understand like. Uh, now, I've been away from football for a while because I live in yeah. Spain for 20 years, so yeah. I got into soccer, and then I come back and I watch football, and it's like, okay, I'm, I, I sort of remember how, I remember how it works, but there are things I'm seeing now, like, like these guys who run back punts and kickoffs when it's almost certain they're not going to take more than two steps before they get flattened. The 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 cost benefit ratio I don't see it there, and it's not just that they're disposable because they're on special teams. I get that, but it's like you're gonna fumble the ball, you're gonna get fucking destroyed. Why aren't they taking a fair catch on those? Those guys, um, the, you know, the kickoff now. I, I was on the kickoff team. I I must admit I hated it because it is so scary. It's like everybody running as fast as you can. And they're fast people. They're, they're fast, fast people. And somebody's people looking world. to take your head off. Yeah. You know, and it's <clears throat> it's scary out there. After I was starting and stuff for a while, I told my defensive coach, get me off that team, dude. Yeah. You want me hurt? Go ahead. Because I, I can't, you can't do it half speed. Right. But just like odds of getting hit from, you know, and you can't see everything around you. And you get, usually when you get hurt, it's somebody that you can't see. Right. You know, if you, you know it's coming, it's okay. But usually it's some guy... Yeah. Jumping on, um, but the guys that, that do the punt returns, uh, they're, I, I swear to God, if I was the, you or I in that league, and we had to catch the ball, you'd probably drop eighty out of uh, eighty-two. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, mean, I thought you were going to say out of hundred. It's like not yeah. even close, man. I'm a hundred and one out of a hundred. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a Spanish friend. I met well, friend. I met him at a dinner party one night, and. Uh, he was like, oh, you're American. I, yeah, I went to college in America, Michigan State, I think. And I said, wow, how'd you end up in Michigan State? He said, well, I was an exchange student. And then, um, you know, I, uh, they, on the high school team, they needed a kicker. And, like, I played soccer, so I was kicking. Perfect. And then he was, like, 5'5 five, five or something, like a little Spanish dude. Yeah. And then he got a scholarship to Michigan State as, a, I think, place kicker. And oh, wow. So, and, you know, kickoffs. And I, so I said, what was it like? Like when you kicked off and the return came anywhere near you, right? He said, he said, the best way I can describe it is like if you go to a six lane highway full of traffic and you're standing in the middle of it. Right. It's like everything's That's going. That's true. It's a different dimension. It's just like, and I, and I said, do you ever tackle anyone? He said, no, that would be like stepping in front of a car. Right. Like I would never do it. Like my body would not allow me to do that. The punter, the punter on our team, Mike Saxon, who's a good buddy, um, has severe neck problems now. And uh, I think, uh, I think it was the, it was literally one guy got by, and then Mike decided he was going to make the tackle. And he's yeah. a punter. It's like, dude, don't make the tackle. Yeah. Try to kick him, maybe. But don't. <laughs> but now for the rest of his life, he's got neck. He's had neck surgery and stuff. Uh, from fuck. one tackle. From one tackle. Don't in one it. game that probably didn't fucking matter. You anyway. don't know what you're doing. Just stay yeah. out of it. Wait, what's that like? The relationship between the kicker and the rest of the team is that yeah. as bad as it looks? From you know outside? what? No, because me, me and Saxon, he was uh, Mike. Mike's a West Coast guy, so we hung out a lot. Um, you know, California guys. We had a lot of fun. Um, 
So, you know, they're, the the place kicker, it's like, I mean, we used to give them shit all the time. Like, go play with your cars. We got to practice, you know, right. toy, we'd say, like, they play with toy trucks. and The, yeah. the real men have to practice here. Yeah, <laughs> but their job is, like, serious, especially the place kicker. My God, what, uh, that's yeah. ridiculous. That's like, uh, you know, hitting a 40-foot pot to win the Masters, you know, it's not easy. Yeah. Did you see last week's game where, like, it was a 27-foot yes. something and he fucking missed it? I mean, so do the guys, like, hate him? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. It was a bad hold, too, though. The, yeah. The guy's supposed to spin the laces. Yeah. And he was, he was, he was not, he didn't do it. And that was the second time in that game he didn't do it. Oh, I didn't the know that. The time before that, he had had the, the laces facing him as well. See, well, maybe he thought it would work. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that so what like speaking about like the whole dynamic? I mean, I imagine there's sort of like a hierarchy of machismo, you know, and also, I mean, the quarterback has got to be a leader psychologically of the you offense. You know what? It's right? a bloodbath out there. Honestly, it's like I, I think I think everybody, every, I mean, certain guys, certainly the guys up front, you know, they they make contact every play, and it's yeah. it's pretty it's it's extensive. It's a you know, it's basically a hand fight. You know, we used to get trained by um, Thai boxers, you know, just for hand fighting. And I imagine now everybody does. But it's a fist fight up front. Those guys are certainly tough. But, you know, you, you look at any wide receiver now, any running back, any linebacker, DB. I mean, everybody's getting hit. And the yeah. quarterback, quarterbacks usually come pretty well unscathed. But if they get hit, you know, they're kind of at somebody's mercy. They're not really... They're usually not going forward. They're kind of like standing, like a tackling and dummy, and they don't see it coming. Yeah, most of the you time. can get yeah. they can get hurt because the guys are big enough now to where they, if they squeeze you and try to, run, I don't know if it, squeeze you and try to run you into the ground. I mean, they could snap your shoulder or yeah. collarbone or anything. It happens, it happens a couple times a year to, out of all the starters, like almost it, every. You think somebody that's intentional? Break. Oh well, I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Why not? I mean, try to put the guy out. That's what everybody. Right. Does. It's part of the game. It's not like you're. It's not like you're being dirty. You're just tackling him, and if it falls wrong and his bone breaks, and it's especially if it's a playoff game, it's like. And that it is that the sort of thing that gets recorded, like, you know, that happens to a quarterback, and the the guys on the team of the quarterback are like, okay, we know you did that. We'll see you next season. And yeah, does it but last I don't. It's the, it, things happen so fast out there. It's really hard to like, you know, unless you want a pill. It's really hard to like try to hurt somebody. Right. I don't think it happens. I mean, you know. If a running back's up and he's still trying to run, you're going to jump in there and try to hit him. But I don't think that I don't think there's I don't think it's possible to really to have time or to not get caught. I mean, it's just things happen. But right. I mean, you could try to poke guy in the eye. The guys up front, that stuff happens all the time. Yeah, I remember reading a thing, and uh, I think it was about Aussie rules football, which is sort of rugby, I guess. Yeah, and. There was a case where in the like in the scrum, you know, the big yeah. pile they formed, some dude had stuck his finger up another dude's ass. Oh, since lovely. <laughs> and, and so this I think guy, I would avoid that. Yeah, exactly. And so this guy this guy like jumped up and like, What the fuck? Who stuck their finger up my ass in the ref? What's going on? Oh my god. And then and then like suddenly all these other players were like, you know, that happened to me too. I didn't want to say anything. Oh and so they my figured god. out who it was because of you know, they triangulated. Oh, that's crazy. This guy had been doing that for a while. Like that's the weirdest thing I've ever talk heard. Talk about a dirty move, man. Yeah, that that stuff was like, you know, in high school we had a we had a we had a biter on our team. Really? Through the helmet? 
How do you get it? Well, back then, oh, your the, arm, the, the cages weren't so good. Oh, you know, okay. and this kid, we had a we had a kid that used to bite running backs. It was pretty funny because you'd hear somebody screaming, and I knew what it was. <laughs> and then the kid would get up, and he'd show the ref, and the ref would kind of look around. He never figured it out. He could never figure it out. <laughs> Scared the hell out of running oh, backs. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's, that's not fair. What the fuck, man? All right, so uh, anything else about football that, that we should cover? We covered... Uh, you know, I think the CTE is worth talking oh, about. Right, you right, know, it's, yeah. um, it's They did it almost... I think it's above 80% of the guys now. They're autopsying almost right. everybody right. Um, that played, and almost 8 out of 10 guys have it. Um, so, you know, it's 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 there, it's real, and, um, you know, the NFL needs to address it. They're, the lawsuit they have kind of halfway settled on is junk, you know, because they don't really, they don't address it in the benefits yeah. to the guys, but... Do you get lifetime medical coverage? You get nothing. You get nothing. You get nothing. So you you're get, out of the league. You're on your own. You're on your own. Good and, luck. And, you know, the problem is, is, and it's, you know, I understand the NFL's position because it's not easy. You can't like, okay, I'm a lifetime medical for anybody that plays this game. That doesn't make sense. But the problem is with a lot of guys is that they get out and then a year or two years later, something acks up, you right. know, that they hurt. Right. So, you know, especially the guys with bad backs. Right. They can't work. They end up losing their house. Right. You know, they destroy the families and all that because they have no, because the med, you know, if they get one surgery, they're done. They're broke. Yeah. You know, nowadays the guys are making a little money back when we were playing nothing. So there's like a lot of guys, you know, like Webster in the film Concussion, you know, ended up with nothing because he was, he played too long and he, he lost his mind. Yeah. And they need to, the NFL needs to address it whether they want to or not because it's not going away. Is that something that you're concerned about? I mean, you seem that you... Uh, I, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know... Anytime you forget something, you think, oh, is that that or Of course. Just, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, a couple times this year, I've gotten the back seat of my car. And uh, as soon as you sit down, you realize you're not in the front seat. Right. This, like, this isn't where you drive the car from. Right. It's like, where's the steering wheel? It's like, oh, that was... I hope nobody saw me. I was like, get out of the car. <laughs> where's my driver? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I just get in the back seat of my car. This is lovely. Yeah. Or you want to put something in the oven and you you know you put it in the trash or that. Yeah. I mean that stuff happens more than I'd like to admit. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm uh, about four years younger than you. Yeah. I've never played professional football or anything. And you got in the back seat of your car too. I get in the driver's seat occasionally. That's excellent. Yeah, oh, I feel I yeah. feel better. My wife does that a lot. She grew up in a country. <laughs> I mean, to her to her uh, defense. Right she side she grew up in a country, Mozambique, that has the opposite, yeah. That's funny. Um, but sometimes she'll just go toward one side, and I'll go to the other side, and she doesn't drive, so it's right. like, okay, here we are. <laughs> now what are we going to do? Let's, uh, yeah. There's a certain amount of comedy to it, I guess. I mean, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that I, if, if it happens to me, and <laughs> there's a good chance that will, that uh, I've always just thought, like, okay, I'm going to be, like, 14 again. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to just embrace it. And not, yeah. Hopefully, I, I can be. Hopefully, I'm retired by then and don't have to make a living. Right. Well, and also, uh, as as long as the rage, you know, it seems like rage is part of it. I don't know whether that's a neurological thing or that's the feeling that, you know, that anyone would have, and especially someone who was, uh, you know, extremely talented physically. Yeah. 
to lose that. It's like a woman who's a world beauty and, you know, getting older and they can get kind of mean sometimes because... I get, I get, I, I think it's just natural in LA just getting mean driving. Oh, just LA trying is to drive crazy, in LA. dude. <laughs> I was wondering, I was actually thinking today, I wonder if there's a word in Los Angeles for that particular species of asshole who sees the long line waiting to get off the exit and goes to the front <laughs> and cuts in. Right. Who is that asshole? And that how can I, you know, let the air out of his tires or something? I mean, there's, there's got to be some way to to combat that it's horrible it's it's comedy it's in uh, last night there was a, <laughs> just same thing but i was just trying to cross the street up here and at rush hour and the people block the entire intersection so yeah. you can't so then it just gets worse on both sides yeah it's, it's so like what are you accomplishing you know and then they don't make eye contact right of course. it's like, like i'm not here wait a minute yeah. you're right in front of me i can't <laughs> yeah, move exactly um, did you, uh, last, last thing in the NFL, I was thinking about, like, misogyny. Is that, uh, is that a problem? <laughs> what is it? What is misogyny? I don't know. <laughs> hatred, of, <laughs> hatred of women? Oh, no. I no. don't think so. No. Um, and you know, like, it's, it's an interesting bunch because when I came, I stayed single the whole time. I was with the Cowboys because I, I, I told myself I'm not getting married while I'm a Dallas Cowboy. Because right. even the people that you knew... You know, you, you some were lifelong friends. Others were friends because you were a cowboy. Right. You know, and when I when I quit playing in the NFL or when they cut me, I uh, got in a car and headed west because, you know, with all due respect, the easiest thing in my life would have been to stay in Dallas and to work there as an ex-cowboy. Right. Get a but car I, dealership. Yeah. I yeah. just heard those words. I just heard somebody talk about that. Said, I don't want to be a potted plant. Right. And he said, as soon as somebody, as soon as that stuck in my head, I was like, no matter if I, what I do, I'm going to be a plant, so I got to go. So when you got drafted, of course you're thrilled to get drafted, right? Yeah. Because that's such a long shot for anybody, pretty much. But was there part of you that was thinking, oh, man, I'd rather play for the 49ers, live in San Francisco, or, you know, New York, or, I mean. I, I wasn't, I, I never even thought about that. Really? I don't know why. It was like, for me, it was, I mean, I'd. I'd the whole thing was so overwhelming. It's yeah. like, and until you put on the pads and you actually play against the guys, you're like, there's no way I can do this because those are, I was in pajamas watching the guys that I'm going to play against. Yeah. You know, because when you're 12 or 13 and then all of a sudden you're uh, 19, I mean, it's not that long, right? Yeah. There's still guys in the league yeah, that's true. that you were a kid. Right. It freaked me out watching those guys. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, there's what's his name? It's, it's like, like he's right there. Yeah. And I like, might tackle oh, him. I'm going to spar with Mike Tyson now? Right. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so who was yeah. on the team then? You, was it Emmett it was, Smith? Uh, was, no, was no, it was him. Tony Dorsett. Great. Amazing. Oh, from amazing Aliquippa, guy, Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's my hometown. Oh, yeah. yeah there I you grew go. Up right north of Pittsburgh. Tony was there, Randy White and uh, Ed Jones. Danny Ro White was Roger Stoddard. Oh, so Roger left the year before I got there. He's a super good dude. I met him at the Kentucky Derby one time. Drinking mint uh, juleps? Huh? Were you drinking mint, mint juleps? I was that day. Fancy hats? <laughs> we were, uh, yeah, we took it up a notch. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Tony Dorsett, is Herschel Walker? Was Herschel he? was there. Uh, Everson Wall was, was there. Billy Joe Dupree. Gosh, I don't know. There was... Was uh, who was Bob Hayes? That was before your day. Though. Bullet Bob was there. I know. I, you see all these guys at alumni things. Right. So that was another crazy thing, like being a rookie and then going to an alumni thing and seeing all the guys, and you go like, "Oh my God!" Legend. And then you realize that, especially when you're playing, when you're 
you know, going to Yale, I never thought I was going to play the game anyway, and I thought it was impossible. But then when you start playing and you do a decent job, then it's like, oh, you know, but I don't know. Then, then those guys kind of, at least they see you play and they have a modest amount of respect from you. And, like, when some old, you know, Hall of Famer comes up and goes, dude, you had a good game, it's like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, trippy. What was your... What was your what made you good? Was it physical talent or you intelligence? You know, I was fast. You know, back then I was a four five forty, and I, I was benching 400, which is decent strength back then. You know, not anymore, but back then it was pretty good. And um, I could I could, I could, could run deep with most of the running backs in the league. Right, because yeah. you're, you're not huge, right? For no, the, I, you know, I played right side, outside linebacker with, you know, Dallas, and that was a hybrid position kind of. Um, it was like a, you got to be like a big, strong safety. Right. Because we had almost, I'd say, 80% of the time man-to-man coverage. So I'd be a tight end or I'd be a running back. And they right. would, they'd usually give you help with the safety because they know you're not, you know, if you're playing against some of the great guys, they're probably going to beat fast, you. But you yeah. can, hopefully we can get to the quarterback within like one and a half seconds. Yeah. And if we mess with them a little bit up on the line, they know that you can, they know that you can disturb them enough to where the guys can, get close enough to the quarterback and if you know if they got enough time they're going to beat you and they back you up with safety but right what's good what's the i see people like yelling and stuff what are they saying they're they're always talking about um and everybody's yelling you know it's usually the the linebackers are telling the defensive linemen what to do and so shift this way they're communicating with where you know they usually nfl is a big gap game Right. So guys, they, what they want to do is cover off all the gaps and create a couple holes, and then the safeties and linebackers fill the holes. Right. That's the basic theory. Um, so when the when they think the offensive linemen, when they're loaded up on one side, just to make it simple, then the most likely they're not going to run to the weak side because it's stupid. There's nobody over there to block for Unless you. Unless the whole defense goes, and then yeah, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes they'll go that way and come back. But yeah. anyway, they just try to kind of even things out. You right. know, it's just like, okay, you put your chess pieces here, I'll put mine there too, because if I don't, you're going to run over my lesser chess pieces. Right, right. It's just simple. So again, it's like tank battles or it something. It is, it yeah. is, yeah. But, uh, like, what about psychological stuff? I mean, is there, like, you know, I fucked your mother last night and all you that know, kind of shit going on? it just doesn't or? really, there's really not that. The guys are so tired, they don't want to <laughs> waste their time talking. You're just trying to breathe. Right. You know, it's like, if right. I don't really want to yell at anybody, I'm just right. sucking, you know. You're right. <laughs> Because it's like you're, it's, you know, football is so weird because you're, it's like you, you, you're in like a super intense three second thing. So you're like in a fist fight uh, sprinting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like basketball where you just kind of run and run and run or yeah. soccer where you're just kind of running. Then you sprint, then you run, then you go stop. And this is like. Pretend you're, you're injured. Yeah, you're using your yeah. neck and your arms and your shoulders. And right. you're like, it's like a, ma- this like a massive drain. Yeah. And oh, no matter how good a shape you're in, you're usually tired. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you're right. It's 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 bursts of intensity. Yeah, it's not spread out at all. Guys yeah. yell at the refs a lot. Though. Like we, I mean, the I don't know how it is now, but back then it was you call them any name. Really? Oh, absolutely. It'd be hey, you. If he does that shit to me, I'm gonna break his an arm. Really? You know? Oh, sure. absolutely. And they'd pretend like they don't hear you. Yeah. Maybe one inch from them, call him every name in the book. Who are the refs? Because they don't seem like former players. No, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. They're they're usually really amazing. Yeah, um, pretty the, patient. The, the NFL does a hell of a job because 
you know, and those guys are schooled. You know, they they know their stuff. And you know, if you when you watch a game, there's almost always you know they reverse quite a quite a few, but not that many in a game that long. And yeah. the really close calls, they get right quite a bit. And I don't think that's easy. Well, and and when you were playing, they weren't even reviewing plays, no, right? No. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like again, comparing it to to soccer to in Spain, you know, it's yeah. It's all, there's one ref, basically. Right. And what he says goes. That's and it. like if he was wrong, well, that's part of the game. The ref's wrong sometimes. Yeah. You know? Which and, is kind of cool, too. <laughs> well, it is cool. And, and it reflects a different approach to culture. I, yeah. You know, I, I think about this a lot. Like the thing I love and hate about Spain is the tolerance for ambiguity, right? Right. So I love it because it's chill. Right. And everything's relaxed and people are happy. Right. But when you're trying to get something done and the guy says he's going to come there to fix your thing right. at 2 and it's <laughs> 7 he shows up yeah. or he shows up the next day right. and you're like, dude. And he's like, yeah, what? Well, yeah. hey, it's Spain. It's Spain. Yeah. I mean, I remember one time I was trying to park my motorcycle on the Ramblas in Barcelona and there it's like 15 motorcycles parked there. And I pull up and there's a cop standing there. And he sort of looks at me and I look at him and I think, well, is this guy going to give me a ticket? You know, like, what's going to happen here? So I park the bike, and I take off my helmet so he sees I'm a foreigner. Right. And I walk over, and I say, hey, is it cool to park here or not? I'm not sure about this. And he says, uh, no, it's illegal, but normally nobody will do anything. And I'm like, you're a cop. You know, right. you can't give me a straight answer here. Right. You know? Like, That's can funny. I or can't I park? God damn it. No es posible. Yeah. But, I mean, you see the ball go out on a soccer game, and the guy picks up the ball, and he goes to throw it in, and he, he can run 15 meters down the field. Nobody says anything. Right. Football, it's like, you know, they got the guy with the chains. It's inches. By the way, what the fuck? Football, you got these cameras, laser-guided, you know, everything swinging around right. everywhere, and all this high technology, and the blimps, and the drones, yeah. and the flyover. And then, to find out if it was a first down, you got two old dudes with, with sticks chain. and a chain. It's like from a century ago. There's something cool about that. It's almost, I never thought about that. It, that's, that's it's an anomaly, yeah. It's a really cool thing. I'm surprised they don't have like lasers on the sidelines that tell you to within a millimeter. It's like rolls of tape, man. I think that's going to be there forever. It's just part of the... Tape, the tapes and tape and xylocaine in the chains. Yeah. <laughs> there is a name for your memoir right there. There you go. You tape, xylocaine, and chains. So uh, was the transition out of athletics difficult for you psychologically? You know, um, not really. You know, I would have liked to play longer, um, but it was just, it didn't happen. And then... I kind of just, as soon as it, they cut me, like, I could have worked out and probably made it somewhere else. And I was just, like, kind of done, you know? I was 30. Did you, you said you didn't bank much money. You were, no, you no, were I spending had some, it. but not that much. You know, just not that much. You know, you just didn't, we weren't, we weren't making that much money. The first year I made, like, 90 grand. You know, it's not like millions. Right. And these days, what's, is there a minimum NFL salary? I don't even know. Yeah. I have no idea, but it's a lot. It's probably three or four hundred grand. Yeah, and then imagine. the coaches get like ridiculous money now. It's like, they, they make a killing. And the refs get shit. They're getting like 5,000 a game or something. I don't know. I think they're up to a couple hundred grand a year. Yeah, are they? I want to say, I think so. I hope so. Because, to you know. Otherwise, why wouldn't you just like make a bad call and make a million, right? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That would be nice. Although in America, I don't know. I mean, yeah. in Mexico, that's what they do. I oh, don't know right, if they get yeah. away with it in America. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where everything has to be legal. 
Um, you, so did, you didn't coach. You just like dropped no, it and you it. left that it. Was it. That was it. And how did you get? You told me yesterday you're a producer now. Yeah, of, uh, I just it was. You know, I was. I rented a place in the canals in Venice. Moved to Venice. And it was honestly just chilling, not doing much, and um, figuring kind of just like see where what pops up in life, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like I wasn't really searching for anything. I was kind of waiting for something to come to me. Goddamn hippie sounds like Just to the, me. Totally. And uh, love, the perfect town to be one. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was playing basketball down at Venice. I used to play every day. And a guy I played with all the time said, hey, man, you ought to get in a production. Line. We're shooting tomorrow. Can I tell them about you and see if they need somebody? I said, sure. So I ended up working... Um, for the biggest commercial director in the world. His name is Joe Pitka. And Joe uh, did a lot of the Nike stuff, and he was kind of a jock himself and played basketball on the set every day. And then he always bring his hoop with him everywhere we went. And uh, I got a job with Joe and then ended up working there for a couple years and then worked my way from literally driving the trucks and everything up to the top. And So, yeah, I'm still a producer. That's great. Yeah. It's like a whole different life. Completely different life. And Did, I love it. Do you ever get, I mean, even even now, I mean, I, I, I'm feeling, uh, what's the, how can I say this? Like, people make certain assumptions about you having been a professional yeah, athlete. Yeah, absolutely. And they minimize your intellect or your, you most, know. Most, you know, if you're a big dopey looking guy, then, you know, that's, you're a big dopey looking guy. You're very, I always, I always equate myself a lot of times as Shrek, you know, just a big dopey looking guy, but if you get to know him, he's okay, <laughs> and he's pretty funny, and, you know, uh, he'll have a beer uh, with you, and he doesn't, you know, it's not, whatever. I wouldn't say you're a dopey looking guy. You're big, um, you're, but you're not, like, freakishly big. Um, I usually, you know. If I say you're a dopey looking guy, yeah. my cousin's going to be pissed at me. Oh, don't Cause, say that. Because you look just like my cousin. But if, you know, I walk, it's almost anywhere you walk. I mean, whatever, I'm 250 now, I'm 6'3". Um, but I'm still in pretty good shape and you know if I walk in a room people are like and especially when I'm wearing like boots or something from work they're like I think I'm going to behave just naturally you know you see a giant guy walk in a room it's like fuck don't look at him what's it like I was thinking about this watching the game last week what's it like to be a big dude suddenly in the presence of a lot of dudes who are much bigger than you I used to love it one of my buddies on the team I hung out with his name was Phil Posderick and Phil was 6'9 offensive tackle you know around 300 pounds and Phil couldn't get in a lot of doors straight or sideways so you'd have to kind of go sideways down and up and it was so great to go out drinking with Pos because like we were pretty big guys but I felt like an elf you know I go out drinking with the offensive protected line. oh hell yes <laughs> That's it's funny. like for once in my life, God, this is awesome to be around giant guys, and yeah. it just makes you feel so happy. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just I felt like so nimble and. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's funny. It's like the the mildly overweight guy hanging out with the obese people, right. so he feels thin. It's yeah. like, look at me, I'm ripped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get people like when you guys were out, like like assholes who want to pick a fight with you? Not really. You they get were, that? People in Dallas were like, they love the team. Yeah, that's um, true. What about yeah. when you're on the road? No, we would go out and have beer. I would, we, we would always go out and have a few beers somewhere. People that most of them, they, didn't, they, didn't, they don't care. Is there, are there psychologists? Like, 
I mean, this guy Manzel, Johnny Manzel, yeah. right, who appears to be having some sort of emotional breakdown. We had uh, we had a team doctor, um, Doctor Unterberg in Dallas, really nice guy. It was uh, I think he was a Navy doctor or something, but a shrink, you know, he was a shrink. And um, they call anybody that went to him was on. They call him the U team. You know, the A team was on TV, but this is the U team, Underberg team. <laughs> oh, all right. And I, I got in trouble with the cops a couple of times, and and uh, and I got to go see Doctor Underberg. It's like going to the principal's office. It's exactly like, and you can't say anything to the guy because you're, you know, he works for the Cowboys, so you're negotiating, you know, contracts, and you're supposed to go, oh yeah, well, you know, this is what I do, and don't do, and hate, and all yeah. this shit. You can't say anything. So it was a big joke though, because I. There were other guys I didn't know like who was on the U team, and then I was like running my laps before practice, and like one guy I will not mention his name right now to me goes, "Heard you're on the U team. Cool, <laughs> welcome to the U team." I was like, "Oh shit!" But then as soon as it got out, like uh, there was four or five of us that had to go see him, uh, and it was always comedy between us. It was like, "Hey man, how's the U?" And then nobody had ever said he had this dark office. It was it was it was comedy. So somebody like like this guy who's going there, or anybody who's going through freaking out because suddenly they've got money and TV cameras yeah. pointed at them. There's really nobody who's in a position to help them. It sounds like. Well, I mean, do do you or don't you? I mean, I think for the for the team, like if they stick their nose in there, then are they part of a liability issue or whatever? I mean, of hmm. course, I think they could. You know, they the Cowboys certainly you know had it all thought out you know and they had this guy and it was like i mean come on i was ivy league guy i i, I mean regardless of what you say i mean i don't really i i I'm, i'll probably be better figuring things out for myself certainly other people i could see you know how you could use the help and you know be nice to talk to somebody but then at the other on the other end of the spectrum you know these guys are 22 25 right. millions of dollars in the bank the last thing they want is some guy trying to talk to him, but in all honesty, it might be the best thing. I think I think PGA Tour guys are smart enough to embrace it, you know, especially the guys with the big money. What's PGA Tour? Uh, the golfers, the pro Oh, oh pro the golfers. golfers, right. You know, they're smart enough to know that, hey, you know, let, let's just, you know, it's probably, I can probably really help myself if I listen to somebody. Yeah, and I think they acknowledge that psychological well-being is going to improve their game yeah and maybe that's the difference like yeah. in football like who cares if you're crazy if you if you run fast and get those tackles right. or whatever yeah you're supposed to be yeah i mean maybe they're afraid you'll get too uncrazy right you know and you will stop playing it's like yeah so what is it what what quarter is it no i don't think i'm not, not ready yet yeah no get back to me <laughs> i gotta get my head together i'll be out in a minute yeah <laughs> I need some me time. Yeah, I need some me time. Get <laughs> yeah. away from me. Exactly. All right. Well, listen. Hey, I don't want to take up too much of your day it's here. Cool. Thank you for this is great. The time. Yeah. It's great. Is, place do you have to any do advice for for uh, you know young uh, young, young football players I or, think or, do, or just anybody? I mean, because you've had a you know unique sort of path through life here. Yeah. Um, Not that it's over. I mean, but it uh, kind of is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it is. <laughs> Um, yeah. I don't know, like as far as life, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of young kids that deal with um, in the movie business and, um, you know, I always, t and it's a very, very t tough way to make a living and to get good and to move up and 
I always just tell them, smile, be nice, work hard, keep your mouth shut, and listen. You'll have your time to run your mouth and your opinion will matter right now you don't know anything so it doesn't, it's kind of like being in the army just don't say anything just just learn until you know your craft and then you know it's amazing you work with a really really talented people um there's a reason they're there you know and it's uh they're they're artists and they're business people at the same time and i think i don't know that would be advice for life and then i think so it because you don't, the thing you don't know when you're young is how much you don't know. Yeah, right. You know, and, yep. and that's enigmatic to try to wrap your head around that. But as you get older, you look at young people and you just think, man, you don't, it, it's, it's like, a, what's the, the, where your vision is narrow, yeah. you, you know? And it's like, you look at somebody young and you think you, you got no peripheral vision, man. Right. You're only seeing what's right in front of you. And you don't know it. You think that's all there is, you know. And there's a lot of, you know, I think a, a lot of, you know, my kids are not going to, they're going to hopefully listen to me, but um, you can waste a lot of time. You know, you could get, you could lose opportunities by just, because you can't keep your mouth shut. Right. And it's just like, just shut up and listen for a bit and learn. Like, you may have a good idea, but just chill for a minute. You know, don't, don't get in people's face because a lot of times, you know, leaders or, you know, people running companies or something, they don't have time for you right now. Right. You know, they, they're 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 moving some big chess pieces around, and they you're you're a little one, and you're they're counting on you to do this little job. Just do your little job, okay? <laughs> Until you get to right. So so essentially, your advice for the youth of the world is um, keep your mouth shut. Smoke a lot of weed. Pawn. Yeah. <laughs> Smoke a lot of weed. And, and don't waste your money on day. like craft beers. Just oh. buy like uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon for a while. You know, you're never going to know the difference in <laughs> Drink the Paps and the Rolling Rock and the Miller High Lives for the next couple of years. There you go. And uh, <laughs> that that may be the yeah. most practical advice anyone's ever given on this podcast. Yeah. Cheap wine too. Stay with the cheap wine. Yeah. Oh, I've I've said that many times. Like over ten bucks a bottle, it's all bullshit. Yeah. You know, at least in Spain, you yeah. get a nice bottle of wine for ten bucks. And don't smoke too much weed because if you do, then you're not going to leave your living room and you're going to be in broke. Right. So save it for the weekends and uh, Monday night football. I think if you grow your own. And yeah, then it's probably not so strong. And you learn something. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that okay, that wisdom. Thank you. That was fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and appreciate your support for the podcast, especially those of you who do it through fundwhatyoulove.com, where you can set it up to take a buck, five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever you can afford, whatever you feel motivated to throw at the podcast every month. Uh, you don't have to think about it. It's an ongoing thing. You can cancel at any time, of course. That's fundwhatyoulove.com. That's run by Danny Osman, who also does the sound engineering for the show. You can find him at emeraldcitypro.com if you have any engineering, sound engineering needs. He's great. I vouch for him, of course. He's been doing the sound engineering for this podcast for over a year now, completely voluntarily. Uh, he's a cool guy. So if you have any business you want to throw his way, please do. Thanks to Basin and Range for the opening music. You can find them at basinandrangeband.com. Uh, there's a Reddit tangentially speaking discussion group. If you want to talk about episodes, throw a question at me, get a conversation started at Reddit. Just do a search for tangentially speaking, all one word. 
And of course, thanks to Bennett at Shore Design T-Shirts, another guy who's been supporting this podcast from the very beginning when I had about 15 listeners. He was there. He's still there. And uh, I love him. Never met the guy, but I love him. And I sure as hell love his shirts. So you can get his shirts at shoredesigntshirts.com. And of course, all the shirts that are at chrisryanphd.com are made by Shore Design T-Shirts in Thailand and packaged and shipped to you by my mom, Julie. Uh, say hi to Julie if you order anything. She loves it when that happens. And of course, last but not least, thanks to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear, Smoke Alarm, which reminds you to carpe fucking diem because you're going to die one day. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation to the ground.